Charles Gabriel was born August 18, 1856 in Iowa. First 17 years of his life, uh, he just worked on the farm. Had no real formal musical uh, education. But people soon realized this guy had a tremendous gift, not only for composing lyrics, but also the actual notes, the melody. So Charles Gabriel began to write. And he began to write songs like, since Jesus came into my heart, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. But in 1905, Charles Gabriel sat down and he wrote, um, again, the words and the music, no formal music theory education. He wrote words like this, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And I wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned unclean. The thing everybody said about Charles Gabriel was this. He was so incredibly gifted, probably a prodigy, and yet he was one of the most humble and kind men that you would ever meet. So it's no surprise to me that God would give him that gift to give to us. And here we are over 100 years later singing Jesus the Nazarene. That's the title of my message today in Acts chapter 2. When I, when I was reading this text and studying it, this song came to my mind. And thank you, Terry. And thank you, uh, thank you, church. Y'all are a big choir today. Everybody sang it like you meant it. And so thank you so much. And so we're going to look at Peter's Pentecostal sermon in Acts chapter 2. It's the first of about 20 speeches or messages that you'll read in the book of Acts. Man, is this one so very incredibly powerful. My name is Danny Forshee. I'm the pastor here at Great Hills Baptist Church, going on almost nine years, and we welcome you today. We're so glad that you're here today. Many of you are watching us on, online, on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and so forth, and we're glad that you've tuned us in. Why don't you press the share uh, button right now and let people know that you're watching us and they can join in and worship with us uh, as well. So we're so glad that you're here. I know it's spring break. I know still a lot of people are traveling, a lot of people out of town, but we're delighted that you're here today. And we welcome you. We're, it's just really no accident that, that you've arrived here at, at 10,500 Jollyville, that you came to this place today and God has orchestrated the event. Somebody invited you or Maybe you didn't feel so great this morning, like I didn't feel so great all week. I've been in bed all week. I, you know, I don't know if it's allergies. I don't, know. Well, I don't know what it is. It just makes you feel like the crud, you know, but I, I'm just looking forward to being in the, in the house of God. And, and some of you I know, you've had a hard week. You've got some bad news and, and you've got some difficult challenges. I know Kristen Turkelson was up here singing a moment ago and she had a hard spill in her marathon, half marathon, and blood spewing everywhere, and she got out, and she kept on running and finished her half marathon, and she's up here singing praise to the Lord today. That, that inspires me, and so we're, we're just glad that you're here. God bless you. So we're going to read this sermon today. It's one of the most powerful speeches, sermons that you'll ever read. And you say, wait a minute, did, did I hear you correctly? Did you say Peter? Like the same Peter who denied that he even knew Jesus, that cursed vehemently there at the betrayal and, and the arrest of Jesus. Yep, yep, that's him. That's the same guy. He said, well, what in the world happened? How could he go from denying Christ and, I mean, just saying, I don't know who you're talking about, and he even begins to use cursed language and go, how can that guy go from being this guy? How could he go from denying Jesus to 
boldly proclaiming the resurrected Christ. Well, something happened in Peter's life. What happened was Christ restored him there at the Sea of Galilee. He asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And three times he said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And so in that intimate moment of restoration and reconciliation, God took all the wrong and God took all the sin and all the difficulty in Peter and God made it right. And Peter just came and said, Lord, I'm sorry. Restore me. Forgive me, oh God. And by the way, God is still in the business of doing that. God still takes broken lives, shattered lives. I mean, you saw a beautiful description there in the baptism today of Daniel and how God has taken his life and done a tremendous, beautiful work in him and and Aaron and and little Clover and Cannon. Man, what, what a great family. And you just look at that life and say, God did that. God redeemed his life. And, and God's still doing this. I'm, I'm still amazed at, at, at God's, at just the way he works. I was flying to Kentucky this, this past week on a Monday. And man, those people like them some basketball. I just want, I just want to say they, they like them some basketball in the, in the bluegrass state. And I was flying out, I got great opportunities to witness and share the gospel with people on the airplane. And, and on the way back, the Lord sat me beside a businessman by the name of Adam. And man, we just, we just hit it off except for one thing. Just one thing that just irritated me about this guy. You ever met somebody who just got irritated? He had an Alabama Crimson Tide shirt. <laughs> in the world. And I literally, I stood up on the plane and this is uncharacteristic of me to do this, but he was sitting there. I'd never met this guy before. And I just said out loud, can an Auburn man sit beside an Alabama? And everybody started laughing on the plane. And the stewardess, she came up, she goes, wait a minute. She goes, I graduated from Auburn. I was like, oh, that's great. And this guy just started dying laughing. And so we sat there and we began to talk. Come to find out he loves the Lord. He's very active at the Southeast Christian Church there in Louisville, Kentucky. They run about 20,000 people. He's been a member there for many, many years loves God. I mean, we talked about the things of God, talking about Jesus. And he, he began to tell me some things. And I, I, he told me this, this is very unrelated to my sermon, but it was so good. I'm going to have to share it with our church. He said, did you know that one out of every 10,000 couples who pray together get divorced? I said, wow. One out of 10,000, that's it. One out of 10,000 couples who pray together with one another end up in divorce. That's amazing. He said, let me tell you something else. I said, tell me. He said, our pastor was preaching the other day, and he was talking about basically for the one. Who is your one? Who are you going to share with today? And that same pastor got on an airplane, and he was traveling. And he he sat beside this guy who was, he had muscles in his earlobes. You know what I'm saying? He just, had, he just had muscles everywhere. It was a February and he was wearing a tank top. Y'all with me? Y'all, y'all got that mental image? He, I mean, he has got it. I mean, he's, he's got the muscles. And beside him was a porn star. That's who was sitting beside him in these two. Yeah. And the pastor's sitting there and they start talking to one another. And I'm telling you, it's, it's an interesting conversation about just the things of this world, what they're going to do tonight. They're going to be getting drunk. And, and so they leaned over to him, and they were wanting the, that pastor to participate in this conversation. And the pastor was, uh, you know, he, he just, he was like, oh, no, what, what am I supposed to do? And the guy said, you're not a Christian, are you? 
And the pastor said, oh, no, no, not at all. I'm, I don't know. No, he didn't, he didn't say that. He said, well, he said, sir, I, I really, I am. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. That big old muscle-bound boy guy, he goes, he put his head down. He goes, my life is a mess. In the shower this morning, I prayed and I said, God, would you let me meet a Christian today? <laughs> not only did he meet a Christian, he... He met a pastor, and so that pastor for that entire flight got to minister to this guy, got to witness to him, got to share with him. Hey, listen, the God who saved and redeemed Peter and made him this powerful, mighty Pentecostal pastor, the same God that redeemed uh, Brother Daniel up there in the baptistry that we saw earlier is the same God that can redeem you. He's never met anybody that he cannot help. He took a Saul from Tarsus and made him a mighty apostle Paul. So here this Peter is. I just got to give you the context now. He's about to stand up and he's about to preach a powerful sermon. And we only have time today to really cover about three-fourths of the message. Next time in the book of Acts, we will wrap up the conclusion of his sermon. And it is, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching somebody else's sermon today, guys. I am preaching Peter's sermon. But Peter, standing up, okay, so why do you stand up when you preach? Well, maybe because Peter did. He stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice and he said to the people. Now you've got to understand this is still the day of Pentecost. Thousands multiplied, tens and tens of thousands of, of Jews from all over the world and also in Jerusalem are there. They've heard these people speaking in their languages. They, they've heard this mighty, sound like a mighty rushing wind and, and there's all this commotion and, and excitement and fervor. And, and so people, you know, they, they, love, they love excitement and they love a crowd. And so the people are just gathered all around Peter. And so Peter stands up and he says, hold on, everybody. Hold on just a second. Let, let me say this to you. Men of Judea, all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known now, that's an interesting word. That's the Greek word gnosko. Let this be known. Let these facts, this empirical, let these facts be known to you and heed my words. The word heed there is an imperative in the Greek New Testament. He's saying, I give you the command. You people need to listen carefully what I'm about to say. These people are not drunk. Remember last time we talked about how the, the early church, they were all speaking these languages, their sense of euphoria and joy. And, and the people thought, well, they, these people must be drunk. Because why are they so excited and how are they speaking all these, these languages? And Peter says, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. Since it is only 9 a.m. in the morning, third day of the hour. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, Joel chapter 2, Peter's about to, either from memory or from a manuscript from the text in his hand, he is going to incorporate the Old Testament text right into his sermon. In fact, he says, that what I'm sharing with you today and what we are experiencing is nothing short of what Joel prophesied six, seven hundred years ago. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And on my men's servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit. That's what Peter says is happening. The Holy Spirit of God has come. 
The, God has sent his spirit in these days and these people will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. And Peter's still quoting Joel chapter two, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, he's, he's, now he's no longer quoting Joel. Now he's addressing the people again, men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves, watch this, also oida, not gnosko, but you know, you know by experience, men of Israel, these things were not done in a corner. Jesus Christ was crucified openly, conspicuously for all the world to see. And you've heard the rumor, you've heard that he is no longer in the tomb. And I'm here to tell you today, it's not a rumor. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that's what Peter's doing. He's standing up and he's preaching this powerful Pentecostal sermon. Him, the antecedent for him, directly relates back to Jesus. Jesus was delivered by the determined, the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You, you've taken by lawless hands and you crucified and put him to death. Whom, still talk about Jesus, God raised up. Here you see in the sermon, in the first recorded sermon in the early church in the book of Acts, you have the, what, New Testament scholars call the kerygma. It's from the root word of the Greek caruso, which means to preach or to herald. It always encompassed this Old Testament prophecy, the birth of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now watch this. And then at the end of the charismatic preaching of the early church, they always would put on the end, therefore, in light of everything that I have shared with you today, in this sermon, therefore, what is your response? How do you respond to the crucified Christ and the empty tomb? Do you respond in belief and repentance or do you just respond with, I'm not interested? God raised him from the dead, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that Jesus Christ should be held by death. For David says concerning him. Okay, now what, what, what he's doing here in this, this homiletics this is homiletics preaching 101. Peter is preaching and it's a very textual driven sermon. His text is, is the Old Testament. And now he's going to look at the book of Psalm. He's already looked at Joel chapter 2. Now he's going to look at Psalm chapter 16 verses 8 through 11. For David says concerning him. Remember the him, the antecedents always referring back to Jesus here. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. You say, where's the resurrection of Jesus in the Old Testament? It's right here. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. 
He's not talking about David because David did die and David's body did decompose and there was still a tomb, a burial for David that you could go to and it, it was full of ashes and bones because he did not bodily, physically rise from the dead like Jesus did. Now, if you go to Jesus' tomb, you don't find any of that. You don't find any decay, decomposed body, ashes, skeletal remains, no, because he bodily rose from the dead. And David is predicting this through the power of the Holy Spirit, what would happen to the Messiah. He would not see corruption, but he would arise. You have made known to me the, the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Wow, what a sermon. It's one of 20 sermons that you read in the book of Acts. Seven of those will be preached by Peter. 10 of those or excuse me, 11 will be preached by Paul and the remaining sermons will be preached by others. But the bulk of those messages are preached by Peter and by Paul. Peter has no sound system. He has no amplification, no microphone, no handyman microphones like what I've got here today. He reminds me of George Whitfield, the great Anglican uh, preacher, evangelist in the early days of our country in the 1740s and 41s, George Whitfield was a flaming evangelist. And he had this oratorical, theatrical ability that he could diaphragmatically breathe and project his voice so that, listen to this, 25,000 people would hear George Whitfield proclaim the gospel. Now, again, this was before sound systems, before amplification, and Benjamin Franklin was so enamored and so amazed at George Whitfield's preaching that they helped construct a building. They, they constructed this huge edifice. That edifice today is one of the Ivy League schools in the United States of America. All these Ivy League schools that I know of, they were started, they were rooted in this early, vibrant Christianity where Jesus Christ was believed upon and they believed he, he lived and died and rose from the dead. That university today is the University of Pennsylvania today. The Benjamin Franklin and others, they, Franklin would say, I cannot bring any money to listen to George Whitfield because he gives such a persuasive offering for his, his orphanage in Georgia that I end up giving all of, all of my money. It's, it's interesting when, when you look back in our country, our country, it was founded upon the Judeo-Biblical Christ. And, and, and that's, that's why, by the way, we're, we're so blessed in this country today. Many people may ignore it, but you can't deny it that God bless America. God has blessed this great country. Anyhow, George Whitfield, I digress. George Whitfield <laughs> reminds me of Peter at this point. He is standing up, no amplification. He's just men of Israel. Listen to my voice. First, he begins with an introduction. There's four parts to this sermon I want you to notice with me today. Number one is introduction. But Peter, with the 11, standing shoulder to shoulder, side by side. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. There's no disunity. There's no fissures and fractions and problems. There's, they've been birthed in prayer. And the people of God have been out witnessing and sharing the gospel. Now the man of God, ordained by God, under the influence. Yeah, they were under the influence, all right. They were under the influence. They were completely inebriated by the Holy Spirit. 
And Peter stands, that same Peter that we talked about a moment ago who denied Jesus, now he's preaching Jesus. What a change, what a, what a radical transformation in this fisherman. He stands and he preaches and the other 11 apostles are standing saying, preach it, Peter, preach, Peter, preach the gospel. And that's what he does. He stands up and he proclaims and 3,000 people are about to give their life to Jesus Christ. We know that because Acts 2.41 says 3,000 were added and baptized that day, the day of Pentecost, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. That would address both crowds of people, men of Judea from all over the world, in the diaspora. As you've been displaced, now you've come for this holy festival of Pentecost. Men of Judea, I address you, and men of Jerusalem, those of you that live here. Let it be known, Gnosko, let it be known to you. Let the facts be known unto you. There's no, one writer says, in Peter's sermon, there is no hesitation or equivocation in his heart. He didn't stand up and go, well, I'm glad to be here today, church. I don't have a whole lot of, whole lot of sermon to say today. I hope everybody's doing good. And, and no, it wasn't none of that. It wasn't on this hymn hall, I'm not prepared. I, what, how's everybody doing today? Can I? No, 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 no. Peter, stay. can y'all can just envision this raw-boned fisherman filled with the Spirit of God, this, this, this large and in charge man of God standing up? And he said, you people, listen to me. He said, why, why do you get loud when you preach? The Bible said Peter got loud. The Bible said he raised his voice. <laughs> I wonder if he stomped his foot. I wonder if he jumped off in the pew. I don't know, mercy, I don't know. But I do know he was excited. You cannot raise your voice and be monotone, mundane, and boring. He's raising his voice. Men of Israel, listen. Heed my voice, imperative in the Greek. These people aren't drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning, for heaven's sake. These people haven't tasted any any. Wine? They, here's what, here's, let me explain to you what you are experiencing. Point number two is Old Testament prophecy. Old Testament prophecy, he begins by explaining to them, this is what Joel said in Joel 2, 28 through 32. In the last days, that's a significant statement. Do you, do you realize that the Bible often says the la, these are the last days, the last times? And some of you said that, that confuses me because Hebrews talks about it, Revelation talks about it, John talks about it, Peter talks about it. What, what does it mean when it says the last days? And here we are 2,000 years later from the last days. Let me help you with this. When Jesus Christ came, that was such a momentous event in all time, eternity, and history. When he came in his birth, in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, okay? And this time frame between when he came first and when he comes again are the last days. This is it. Because when he comes again, I mean, history as we know it, it's over, it's closed. I mean, Jesus Christ comes and he reigns. And so if, if, if they were living in the last days 2,000 years ago, what are we living in? With each passing moment, each passing of time, this, this last days begins to get smaller and smaller. And Peter preaches and says, Joel was talking about this. And he was talking about these climactic, cataclysmic events that will happen. The young men will have these 
visions. The old man will dream dreams and, and the Holy Spirit of God will be poured out and the men and the women, I like that, men and women. I appreciate Peter including that because women were second class citizens in Rome in the first century. And Jesus says, that's not right. They're on the equal plane with men. And so Jesus Christ has done more for women than any other person under the sun. He lifts them to the rightful place ontologically where they need to be in the image of God in the same essence as man. And so Joel says, he's gonna pour out his spirit and men and women are gonna proclaim Christ. And that's what you saw earlier. When you, see, you saw all of us speaking and, and, and God did a miracle. I mean, we were speaking and people were listening from all over the world. They're not drunk. That's the spirit of God. Interesting, isn't it? That people like to criticize what they don't understand. Like to be harsh and polemical toward that which they don't grasp. And Peter goes on to say, he, he, he quotes Joel and he, I think he has not just the last days, this part in mind. I think he's got the last days, this part in mind too, because he makes an interesting reference to the blood moons and to the sun not shining. Remember this? Listen to these words in Revelation 6, 12. We preached on this a couple years ago, but let me read it to you again. In Revelation 6, 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black, black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. And so Joel is prophesying. He's saying before that happens, before that great, terrible, dreadful day of God, when Jesus Christ comes in judgment on this earth. Listen, this is a day of salvation. This is a dispensation of grace. The Holy Spirit of God has come. The gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed all over the planet, all over the globe. And it starts right here in the epicenter in Jerusalem with the apostle Peter preaching. Wow. I like verse 21. It says, that awesome day of retribution. Yes, indeed it is coming, but it's not now because now is the day of salvation. Did you see that in verse 21? I love that. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Paul quotes this in Romans 10, 13 verbatim. This is, by the way, this is a day, an epic, the Malu, the era, the whatever you want to call it, of salvation. God's judging this world. He will judge this world. But before he does, he gives people every opportunity. He gives them multiple opportunities to call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Okay, number three is the gospel itself. I'm going to look at verses 22 through 24 with this. My favorite, favorite, favorite part of Peter's sermon. Verses 22 through 24. It reminds me so much of these words. He took my sins and my sorrows, made them his very own. Hmm bore the burden to Calvary, and he suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And that's what Peter's about to proclaim, the love of God. And he begins in verse 22 by saying, men of Israel, hear these words, again, in the imperative mood, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, a bunch of us, a few months ago, we went to Nazareth. And we went on top of a hill overlooking that city. 
It was a small, inconspicuous, insignificant city in Jesus' day, and it is a small, inconspicuous, insignificant city in our day. In fact, Nathaniel, one of our Lord's disciples, who's also known as Bartholomew, when, when he was being witnessed to by, by Philip, he goes, Nazareth, can any, anybody remember that? Exactly. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so Peter's standing up and he's saying, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, such a stumbling block to many, to many of the Jews then going, what? Not Jerusalem? What, Peter, you what? He died on a cross? Huh? A cross? Man, a cross is for criminals, and, and the Bible forbids anybody dying on a cross. In the Old Testament, that's cursed as any man who hangs on a tree. What do you mean telling me he's born in Nazareth, and he dies on a cross, and he's the Savior of the world? And that, that's what you're telling me, Peter. And Peter said, that's exactly what I'm telling you, because God attested him in verse 22. That word in the Greek means to exhibit, to demonstrate, to accredit, and it's in the perfect tense. God accredited him, attested him in the past. He attests him and he, he accredits him in the present. And he accredits him for all eternity because he was the son of God. And here's how we know that was the case because of, the, because of what he did. The authority was from God the Father who authenticated, validated, exonerated Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And here's how. Now watch this by miracles. And the Greek word there for miracles is the root word dunamis, where we get the English word dynamite, by miracles and signs and wonders. Let me just recount a couple of these for you, just for, mm, just for a minute. He healed the lame, the blind, he fed the multitudes, and the 5,000, he raised the dead, he himself was raised from the dead, he cast out demons, he did all of those things. How did he do that? Peter said he did that because he was being authenticated and exonerated by God the Father. God the Father was on him. And all of these miracles he did because he was who he says he was. He was the Messiah. And by the way, you men of Israel, this was not done in the same. Some of you here today, you saw that. Remember, this is only 50 days after Jesus' ascension. And I bet a holy hush just came over the the southern temple courts in Jerusalem. That's where Peter is. He's standing up and he's preaching. And God vindicated him. This Jesus of Nazareth who died on a cross, I know it blows your mind. I know this is way beyond what you thought would ever happen, but that's just the way God works. God's ways are higher than our own ways. Four times in verse 22, Peter personalizes the message. He says, you, 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 you oida, you know this. You know this by experience. You, you've seen these things happen. And it's not a fake, it's not a phony, but it is rooted in truth. It's rooted in history. Luke, the physician, Luke, the historian says, this all happened, people. If Jesus Christ did all of his miracles and he himself arose from the dead, could it be? that he is the king, that he is the Messiah. The Jews then, just like 99% of the Jews today, reject Jesus. They reject it outright. They say, no, we're still looking 
We're looking for a conquering Messiah. We're looking for somebody else. But 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul, a converted, completed Jew, said these words, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's, it's moronic to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, right? Okay, verse 23 says, but him, referring to Jesus, was delivered, ekdotos, the only time this word's used in the Greek New Testament, ekdotos, the only time it's used, and it's the word delivered in verse 23. He was delivered, watch this, according to the determined foreknowledge of God. The word determined, if you're taking notes in verse 23, is the Greek word horazo. It's where we get the English word horizon, okay? It was determined in, in God's landscape, on God's horizon, from all eternity, from the past, Today and forever, the cross, the death of the Son of God has always been in the mind and the heart of God the Father. Because God the Father knew if Jesus Christ came and he died, then he would populate heaven with a bunch of redeemed people. It's on his horizon. The determined foreknowledge, the counsel of God to mark it out with a boundary. And here it comes. Here's a quote I came across and it still disturbs me, but it disturbs me in a good way. And I want to quote this author when he says, Jesus Christ was delivered to death because God planned it and God did it. God ordained it and God did it. That's, that's what your Bible says. What God prevented Abraham from doing to Isaac in Genesis 22 when Jehovah Jireh provided, he did not do that for himself. He gave his only begotten son. By the way, what do, what do you think John 3.16 means? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his son, knowing that his son would die on a cross and take upon himself. Paul says he became sin so that he who knew no sin would be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53, 6 says, And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hello? Does that not disturb you a little bit? It, it disturbs me. I'm like, oh my word, this is true. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, by the way, we all played a part. The Romans and the Jews came together and crucified him. But I want you all to know something today, that my sin, I am just as guilty I, I am just as culpable as anybody because my sin put the Savior of the world on the cross. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world. And I'm telling you today, church, my sins were born by the Savior. And when he died, I died. All my sins are forgiven. And now when I die, I'm going to heaven. Glory to God. That is the gospel. Woo! The gospel. Peter says God orchestrated all of this. Yes, you Jews, you Romans, and everybody has a part because we sin and we do things, think things, say things that we should not do. And God says, but I love you. I have a remedy. I have a way out. And it's the cross, nothing but the cross. Verse 24, he says, whom, referring to Jesus, God raised him from the dead. He destroyed the birth pains and birth pangs, P-A-N-G-S. 
and the cords of death. And I like what F.F. Bruce, great theologian, he says, ladies who are pregnant. Man, we've had a bunch of pregnant ladies at Great Hills Baptist Church. I'm, I'm telling you, we, we be having babies right and left. Our church is going to grow even if it's just biological growth. I mean, all you women getting pregnant, having babies, hallelujah, my baby, Hannah. My baby had a baby. That is just amazing. Oh, you, you know some grandparents? How many of y'all grandparents here today? Is that, not, is that not wild? My baby's holding a baby. I'm like, oh, my word, this is, this is absolutely amazing. And F.F. Bruce says, just as a mama that's holding a baby, she can try all she wants to hold it in for 10 months, 11 months. It ain't going to happen. Why? That baby's coming out. Mm, I'm, I'm coming out of here, man. I'm coming, you either got to open me up, you know, the cesarean, or, or I'm coming out naturally, but that baby's coming out. And by the way, when our second child was, was born cesarean, and, and the doctor came in and says, oh, we got, we got to go ahead and, and get him. I was like, okay, and I was in there. And I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking a cesarean was, you know, they cut the mama about right here. You know, they cut them and then they, 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 they grab the baby. And I'm standing there and, I, and I'm watching all this going, this is really amazing. And that doctor, you know what that doctor did? He took a scalpel and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. This is what he did to my wife. He didn't go, Ooh. He went, Ooh. I was like, what? Stop, what are you doing? And Ashley, she's just smiling. She don't know what in the world's going on. I'm like, he's going to saw you in two. He's like, Rrr. I'm like, good night. And then he reaches down and pulls out that baby. Just as that mama cannot keep that baby in, the earth could not keep the Son of God in. He had, he had to come out. He had to come. Nothing could hold him. Because if he was who he says he was, and if he was exonerated and vindicated by all of these miracle signs and wonders, then the apex, the pinnacle, the miracle of all miracles is would he rise? And he did. And Peter, standing up, by the way, Peter is standing at the temple courts publicly proclaiming a message that's going to get him, it's going to get him killed. And we know what happens to Peter in the end, but he's not ashamed. He cannot help. The man who denied Jesus can deny him no more. He must proclaim. JP and Linda were, they were missionaries. They, they retired in their secular jobs in America, but they said, we're going to use our retirement, kind of like the, kind of like the miracles, Mike and Claudia miracle. They said, we're not going to just sit around like you, John, Kerikoff, we're, we're going to go. We're, we're going to go to the nations of the world. And so they did. They went through the IMB. I think they're well in their 60s, maybe even in their 70s. And they go get commissioned by the International Mission Board. They're serving God in Asia. And, and Linda, she, 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 gets off, she goes to get off the bus. And right before she takes a step to get off the, the bus, the bus driver makes a mistake. He disengages the brakes accidentally. And, the, and Linda tumbles out, she breaks her leg, she breaks her wrist, and it, it's a mess. They take her to the doctor, and the supervisor of the bus driver and the bus driver rush to the hospital, and that supervisor, he is so mad. He said, ma'am, I'm so sorry, he's gonna lose his job, and before he loses his job, you tell him what he has to pay you for the, what he's done. And, and Linda said this, she goes, oh, no, no, sir. She said, listen, 
It was an accident. There is no payment because God, you see, God has forgiven me of so much, I'm going to forgive him. So in the police report, it has these words, victim forgave bus driver. <laughs> That's all it said. <laughs> that was the police report. Victim forgave bus driver. One month later, Linda died because of complications from that accident. But before she died, JP said, honey, you have an accident and you tell half the city about Jesus. You're, you're pretty amazing. And JP stood up and he spoke at his wife's funeral. Mm, 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 mm. Listen to these words. And by the way, can I just preface it with this? If you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, I'm about to read something to you that's going to rock your world and you're going to go, oh my God. And if you don't know the Lord, it ain't going to mean a whole lot to you. It's going to be a little bit confusing to you. But if you know Christ, listen to what this husband said of his deceased wife. He stood up and he said, Linda knew she was dying. We never had any respect for death. Death is given too much respect because the only way you get to heaven is you have to die. We never had that much respect for death after all. Death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Our king, our king, he died and he arose from the dead and all of us in his holy train, when we die, we rise from the dead. So why should we fear death? Because death is the entrance to eternal life. Woo, glory to God. Man, that is... That is good, good, mm, 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 is that not good news? It is if you know Christ. So we all got to die. And when we die, we go into the presence of God and we go into the presence of the angels and go into the presence of the saints. And forever we live with our resurrected, reigning, royal, precious King, King Jesus. No wonder they call it the gospel. It's such good news. The last thing I want to share with you is number four. I, could, I was not very creative on point four. I just said more Old Testament prophecy. I, that's, that's all I had. I'm sorry. I, more Old Testament prophecy. But look what Peter does. He's not only quoted the prophets. Now he's about to quote the writings. Psalm 16, 8 through 11 is so rich. And, and Peter, by the way, he, he quotes it just about verbatim here. But you got to keep in mind that as David spoke, as he prophesied, and I tried to bring this out in the public reading of God's Word, he wasn't talking about himself. In fact, next time when we study the book of Acts, this, the rest of the sermon, Peter expounds upon, I don't have time today, but he expounds upon the difference between King David and King Jesus. King David was not the Messiah. The Messiah would come through the loins and the lineage of David. But David died. Yes, his soul, his spirit is with God in heaven, but his body was still in the tomb, but not Jesus. Jesus died never to die again. I mean, he, he died and he bodily rose from the dead. He conquered. He conquered the very thing we're all scared, scared of, <laughs> scared to death of death. And Jesus, he conquers this. 
In verse 28, this is our last verse, but what a verse. You have made known to us, God, the ways of life. You make us full of joy in your presence. Wow. What a sermon the Apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Thousands upon thousands of people. I, I admire him for so many reasons. I admire him because of his tenacity, his steel backbone. There was no fear. He wasn't really concerned how, you know, what, what are people going to think about me? Listen, you, you don't preach like that when you're concerned how the populace and the world thinks about you. Because as a preacher, we really, pastors, preachers, we have an audience of one, and that's God. And we have to speak God's truth and, and God's word. I pray every day. I, I pray for passion and I pray for compassion. I want to comfort the afflicted and I want to afflict the comfortable. That's just passion, compassion. When I said something a moment ago, were you with me? When I said, if you know the Lord, then what I'm about to read to you, it's, it's not going to scare you. It's going to bless you. When J.P. Lipscomb said, we don't fear death. Death is the portal, the entry to heaven. Can you say that today? Can you really say that? It is appointed unto man one time to die. And then we stand before God in judgment. What, what, we, what do we do? I don't know about you, but when my time comes and I go into the presence of God, it's not going to be, oh, I hope I maybe, you know, oh, I tried to preach or I tried to do this and that. I'm going to go in with one word on my lips. I'm going to say, Jesus. And that's the right answer, that you know Jesus, the one who died, the one who was buried, and the one who rose from the dead. Listen, we're all going to choose a God. We, we, we do choose gods. All gods make terrible gods, but Jesus. All gods are little G's compared to the big G. And the, and the thing that differentiates Jesus from all others, not only did he speak the words of life, not only was it authenticated by his miracles, but I don't know about you, but I'm going to go with the one who rose from the dead. I'm going to go with him. Maybe you're here today and you would say, that's what I need because I am pre-Peter. I am in my sin. I am, I am far from God. I'm the muscle-bound, earlobe, you know, guy sitting there and the porn star person. I'm that. I'm those people. What about these people? These people is why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. And that guy's in the shower crying, praying, God, send me. Send me a Christian. Why would he do that? He probably has everything the world has to offer. Body and drink and pleasures. And oh, why, why is he saying, God, send me a Christian? Because that stuff does not satisfy. It make you happy a little bit, make you pleasurable a little bit. But in the end, you still got to go to bed and wake up. And with the guilt and the shame and the pain, and Jesus says, I, listen, I came for that. I bore all of that so that you wouldn't have to, so you can be forgiven and so you can go and proclaim the good news. Have you ever been born again? If not, today is a beautiful day to be saved. I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me, and we're going to have our invitation and really, this is a special, sweet, sweet time. And in our tradition, we stand and we sing again. And we invite people to come forward and publicly 
demonstrate that you're wanting to come to faith in Christ or you are wanting to maybe join this church? What does that look like? We have, a, we have an incredible new members class, Discover Great Hills, and you can come and discover and, and see. We had, we had so many go through this month, and we're so grateful to all those who went through, and now they're getting plugged into our church, and there's room for you. If God is leading you, you come. You come. Maybe you're here today, and you, there's fear. You're gripped with fear, and you need to release that fear to Jesus. You need to have somebody praying with you and for you, saying, we need not fear. Though the earth give way, Though the mountains fall in the depths of the sea, we will not fear because our God reigns. Lord, I pray today, I pray that you would meet our needs according to your riches and glory. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the boldness of an apostle Peter. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the crucified Christ. Lord, we love you today. We, we want to just surrender fresh and anew. God, for some today, they need to be saved. Lord, they need you and and they just need to give up and wave the white flag and say God take over because I can't do this on my own I need you Lord I trust you I have faith and that's all you got that's all you got to do is Lord I can't but I know you can and then watch what God does we love you Lord we pray this in Jesus name amen God bless you church we stand to our feet let's all stand we'll sing we got pastors we got we got men and women of God up here at the front. We will pray for you. We will encourage you. Why don't you come as we sing again? God bless you.